Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's literary officer and your host, Jennifer Williams. Welcome to another edition of our ongoing series of Travcast interviews with playwrights, in which we talk with playwrights about their current work and also explore some of their thoughts about the art of playwriting and the part it plays in their lives. Today, I'm lucky to have the wonderful playwright Lewis Hetherington with me. Lewis is an associate artist of Analog, having co-written and performed in their first two shows, Mile End and Beachy Head. Lewis has co-written as well their third show, 2,401 Objects, which is, um, I'm happy to say, coming to the Traverse at the end of this month, and is a co-production with the Oldenburg Staatstheater, Germany. He is an associate artist with Imaginate, which has afforded him the chance to undertake research with Sense Scotland, exploring the creative possibilities of making theatre with and for young, deaf, blind adults. Lewis has lots of experience making theatre for and with young people through working with companies including Starcatchers, Visible Fictions, RSAMD Drama Works, The Traverse, and the National Theatre of Scotland. Other writing credits include Sea Change and A Perfect Child for a play, A Pie and a Pint at Ornmore, and adapting to Argentinian plays, The Archivist by Hector Levy? Levy? Mm-hmm, that's right, yeah. Uh, and Instructions for Butterfly Collectors by Mariana Eva Perez for the National Theatre of Scotland. Lewis made a show for young people, Cloud Man, with puppeteer Ellie Cohen, which was part of the 2011 Made in Scotland Showcase at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, um, which I was lucky enough to see and enjoyed very much. Thank you. Uh, and that's kind of how I wanted to start, actually, by saying that I just love your work. Um, oh, thank I, you. That's very kind. I have seen um, Cloud Man and uh, 2,401 Objects, which was um, one of my absolute top picks from the Fringe last year. And um, actually, Instructions for Butterfly Collectors, that adaptation I saw and was just absolutely blown away. I thought it was phenomenal. So one Thank of the you. just best pieces of writing I'd come across in a long time. So um, it's an honor to be speaking with you. Um, it's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just wanted to ask you first mm-hmm. how you first came to writing and why do you write plays? Uh, I came to writing, I guess I've always been quite um, passionate about theatre uh, from when I was very young and um, I did a lot of device theatre at university and I suppose I was just naturally the kind of person that would gravitate towards taking things down into into text and into written form um, and I think that's also informed the way my writing career has gone in that I tend to still work in collaborative contexts because I I really enjoy as a writer having... Um, tangible elements to work with. Sometimes that might be the puppets, like in the case of Cloudman, or it might be actors or bits of set. But I feel I really respond well to, yeah, to writing for practical things. And they may be people or objects. Um, I'm I'm just not good. I sometimes try and lock myself away and just just write and let the muse come, but it never does. Uh, <laughs> but I say for me, there's something that's so. What I love about theatre, I love shows that are theatrical and immersive. And where there's a lot to, um, yeah, for the audience to really grapple with, um, and I suppose that's you know even in the case of the Argentinian uh, monologue, the Butterfly Collectors one. For me, that was a really interesting process because it was the first time I had adapted something, and in that case, 
what I was responding to all the time was the the original source text. Um, so yeah, for me as a playwright, I really enjoy that that quite practical nature, that quite tangible nature of having to wrestle with certain objects or creative limitations and then find a way to render that into the poetic or the comic or emotional or, or whatever seems appropriate, I suppose. Mm, yes, because was, that was my next question was about collaboration. So it's wonderful you've touched on that because it mm. really comes across, I think, you know, that I always think adaptations and translations are a kind of collaboration mm -hmm. and um, all theatre in some senses, I think for a playwright, a collaboration with... Uh, the actors in the audience anyway mm -hmm. but your work really does seem to be particularly collaborative and even like in the analog description of the um the sort of who's done what for mm -hmm. 2401 objects i was really curious because it says written by hannah barker lewis hetherington and liam jarvis text by lewis hetherington and that seems like such an interesting distinction to me i was wondering if you could talk about that and maybe the process of working with analog because it sounds like that's a really interesting collaborative process yeah absolutely i think it's um with analog that accreditation is born out of the fact that we we kind of believe the show to be uh to be i guess more than just the spoken words and i think it very much is and hannah liam and i hannah and liam being the artistic directors of Analog worked so closely on this text from the very beginning, but it came from, uh, Liam was the one that first saw uh, Henry Melison's uh, brain being sliced up online. Um, and he brought that ideas to us and then we always worked so closely. So whilst I wrote the actual spoken text, the dialogue the actors are saying, um, as you'll know, you've seen the show, there's so much kind of choreography of set and interaction with projections that we kind of, thought it was only right to respect that in the in the authorship of the whole text that actually that uh physical choreography and that visual language is as much a part of writing the whole piece ah. as the dialogue is so that's where that's kind of born out of and um and the way as i say i worked with hannah and liam even though i say those i was kind of the one doing the writing it was all it was always very collaborative where that was coming through so it's I kind of enjoy being used as a, in a way, seeing writing as quite a tangible skill and it's like sort of we'll all discuss what we want a scene to do or what we want, what journey we want to take the audience on, what stories we want to tell. And whilst it's very collaborative, quite often we'll sort of separate into our own specialist areas. And for me, that's writing. So we'll come together as a three to talk about what we want from a scene. And I might go away and... um and write it whilst Hannah and Leah might go away and think about the blocking or the choreography. But that's not to say we exclusively sit in those areas because there's we've known each other for uh, 10, over 10 years, I think. Um, so there's a there's a real fluidity and a trust there that actually it's not to say that sometimes Hannah and Liam won't step in and suggest rewrites and contribute lines. And, and of course, the actors we worked with as well when devising the show, they were sort of constantly giving feedback as well. So... Uh, so yeah, I think we wanted to, it was important to honour in the crediting of the show uh, how much sort of, you know, how much it had been a journey, I think, for the three of us. Yes, fantastic. Um, and do you ever find with that process that, because uh, I know collaboration can be um, 
it can be difficult sometimes if mm -hmm. people disagree, but I suppose uh, what you're talking about in terms of the trust and, and having worked together for a long time can help with that. But I'm just thinking, for instance, for our young writers who might be starting out on this process, um, do you have any advice for if you hit difficult situations in collaborations? Um, I don't know. I mean, collaboration, uh, it can be so complicated, absolutely. And uh, it's so hard at times but in a way that's what's so rewarding about it because it when it works it's brilliant you've got the power of like six brains as opposed to one um i think for us having quite clear parameters can work because i think the way we worked with the actors was quite um by the time we actually cast the actors for the final show we actually had a lot of the material in place we knew a lot about the story we knew a lot about the characters that were going to be there and in a way we were more kind of bringing the actors in to collaborate with us but it would be feeding them scenes and trying to get them to work rather than sort of because in a way then maybe the most exciting form of collaboration is to bring six people into a room with no ideas and go hey let's see what happens but th that that's a potentially exciting way to work but very very difficult to make work so i think for us it's about collaborating but at the same time recognizing um where people's skills are i suppose um and also being uh, be, being kind of prepared for those tensions and I guess being very clear if you are working with actors. Because for us, we always, analog always come to a full script, which a lot of devising companies don't. But again, for us, we come to a finalized text and I guess it's being just crystal clear from the outset. If you're gonna give that to actors, then let them know. So even if they're doing lots of improvisation at first, you don't want that terrible shift moment when you suddenly bring in a text and they're like, hang on, what's this? Because, you know, I say a lot of devised material and I've seen lots of shows that keep fresh and, and that can be a wonderful way. But with us, because we like to script it, it's just about, and it's still a learning curve. I've, you know, there's st analog still keep looking at different ways to work. And I think that's exciting. That's what keeps the company alive. Um, but I guess one thing we've learned is to try to have a clear map through your process and make sure everyone that's collaborating is aware of that, I guess, and they feel they know how much they're being expected to give or not give. And sometimes you might be bringing in someone just to, you know, just be a pure actor and you go, actually, we're all sort of devising, but we want you to just try and make this work. And actually it's our job as, you know, co-writers, directors to work out uh, if it's gonna fit in the show, if it makes sense, if it's interesting. And actually we're just asking you to bring your skills as an actor, because I often think that's, that's quite a lot in itself, you know what I mean? And sometimes I think actors particularly are asked to give a lot in a devising process and they sort of get a bit lost. They're like, am I meant to be trying to work out how to tell the story or am I just meant to be trying to make this scene work? And for me, I enjoy kind of just letting the actor take on that role and going, you try and make it work. And if it doesn't, it's my problem and I have to go and rewrite it. And if it does, jobs are good. So it does sound like, uh, I think I've found that as well in collaborations that having clear roles that everyone mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, has agreed to makes things a lot mm -hmm. easier to send. Absolutely. And I think with Liam, Hannah and myself, because we've known each other for a long time, you buy yourselves a bit more fluidity because you know there's that baseline of trust and respect at the bottom of everything. So you get a shorthand and you can uh, sometimes criticise more quickly, more easily. And you know there's not necessarily going to be any jostling of egos because you kind of go, We've been working for, together for 10 years. We obviously like each other. We obviously respect each other. Like no I can, bloody noses. I can just say, actually, I don't like that bit. And, yeah. and someone can say, you know, Hannah can say to me, that bit's rubbish. And I'm like, right, brilliant. I know you're not <laughs> bashing me. Yeah. You're, just, you're just trying to get the best out of the show. And that's the thing as well, to try and look at 
and it's very very hard because we all have egos and they're they are fragile things and you know you don't want to feel undervalued in a room but to try and put the show as the thing that you're all kind of pouring into and sometimes to come out of a room and go am i upset because it's my idea that's lost or am i upset because that idea of mine i genuinely think would make the show better oh wonderful yes because I do, something I really felt strongly having seen that piece is, uh, and this isn't, this is going to sound very critical of Devine's work, but mm -hmm. I have seen some Devine shows that seem like they have given up on a certain editorial aspect of this mm -hmm. show mm -hmm. um, in exchange for maybe having a, a really creative approach to the building of it. But I think mm -hmm. sometimes those shows, maybe there was more to be gained in the process of making it than in the watching of it. Um, whereas in your show, something that came across so strongly was how much of a finished, well-edited, well-dramaturged kind of piece it felt like. It felt I, like I wouldn't have, I don't think having watched it without having known it was devised, I wouldn't even have known it came from that sort of a process. And that, uh, do, do you have sort of ed editorial structures in place as well, or is that just built into the, the I think collaborative? That process? is just comes from a striving from from analog but also i think i guess i can mainly speak for myself as a practitioner that i like experimental work i like experimental processes but it's like you say i don't necessarily want the audience to come in and go oh this feels interesting a bit weird i kind of want people to come in and and feel safe and uh entertained and engaged and and it, it's a difficult challenge for yourself obviously but i sort of think i'd like people who come in who maybe do watch a lot of theatre to come in and find it interesting, but I'd also like people who don't watch any theatre to come in and find it interesting. And obviously, of course, that's a slightly paradoxical goal and different people have different feelings of how well uh, I've achieved it in my work. But for me, I always kind of strive to do that, that maybe as experimental and creative as you're trying to be, uh, for me, I always want the audience to be to be with me and to feel like they know where they're going. And as you say, not sort of feel like they're watching an interesting experiment, but to feel like they're watching something that is that is tangible and they can take hold of and that they can connect to and they can follow. That leaves them feeling engaged rather than sort of maybe from a distance impressed or interested. I kind of really want them to be. I kind of want it to have heart, I guess. And mm. I, you know, I try and keep that thread across my work ultimately whatever I'm doing however clever I think I'm being or however fascinating or bizarre the subject material is I kind of go I want people just to just to, to like it I guess in a really blunt sense but I just want people to to be hooked in and of course it works sometimes sometimes it doesn't and that's I guess the beauty of it as well that people are always going to have their own opinions but yeah it's sort of vital to to consider the audience and consider their journey and not get too involved in oh well we did this in the rehearsal room and it was very interesting so we'll share it but to go we did this in the rehearsal room we found it very interesting is it interesting for an audience and if not how do we extrapolate this experiment and turn it into a meaningful bit of dialogue or physical action or whatever and do you go through any sort of testing processes to see how audiences respond to the work or uh, before it's released? Or do you just uh, work internally until it has its first production? Um, oh, it sort of varies. I don't have any strict process particularly. Um, I'm, I think I say maybe part of the reason I like working with other makers is because sometimes you're constantly getting that internal feedback. And if you're 
if I'm writing with actors I really trust or a director or a designer that I really trust, then you're constantly getting that feedback from them. And I quite like uh, working with people who are not going to treat me too preciously um, because sometimes there can be a sort of an idea that the, ri the writer is this precious thing. And I think that can make you precious about your own work if people really sort of delicately criticise you and sort of... Um, just sort of tiptoe around you a little bit. It does, it does make you a bit precious. And I think sometimes if you, if you kind of keep something... Well, for me, if I keep something hidden away from people and don't let people see it, I sort of... It becomes really special. And if I'm writing something for months and months and no one sees, then if anyone criticises it, it's, it's terrible. But if I've written something one night, I show it to actors the next morning and they're like, oh, it's not very good. I'm like, oh, well, never mind. Back to the drawing board. So I just sort of like that continuous feedback. But yeah, I quite often... I think it's really important to... To get the to get people into the rehearsal room or to send the script off to someone who's got nothing to do with the process at all, and I try to um, gauge that. I guess whatever show I'm working on, you sort of go. Actually, I know who should read this, and sometimes it's my mum. That's who should read it. And other times it's like, oh, it's that fantastic literary manager I worked with a few years ago. And to kind of you know almost do it on a case by case basis and be quite honest with yourself and go who who is going to give me criticism and actually sometimes if you do need a bit of praise go <laughs> who is who is going to do that who is going to be Mom. nice to me exactly and then <laughs> yeah. you're like well actually not in my case my mum is very critical which is a, oh. a very good thing um yeah. a very astutely so yeah um but you know who's gonna who's gonna maybe be delicate about this and tease it out and actually who's gonna when do i need to be told that this is rubbish doesn't work yes um as usual, time is flying by, so we <laughs> don't have much time left. But I did, I was keen to ask you to talk a little bit about um, 2,401 mm -hmm. objects in terms of its, its play that's also about science as mm -hmm. much as it's yes. about very human interactions. I mean, for me, I came away from it feeling so sort of deeply moved in a truly existential way, questioning what is memory and what is... Uh, what is the meaning of our existence here in a way that was uh, extraordinary. Um, but one of the things I most admired about the show as well was that it's got uh, not only the sort of scientific uh, aspects of the narrative, but it's also got these technological um, parts of it, for instance, in this amazing screen that mm. is able to move um, throughout the show back and forth and turn around on the stage and the actors slide under it and mm -hmm. it's almost another character in the mm. play and even that screen reflects part of the scientific technology that's involved in the kind of brain research that the play mm -hmm. is about so to me I get really I think sometimes you see in plays uh, the use of technology that feels a bit gratuitous or unnecessary mm -hmm. whereas this um, everything felt so integrated and well thought out that it, it was very pleasing <laughs> to the kind of logical part of my brain that wants everything to fit together and I guess I was just curious about um wanting to hear you talk about all that and mm. also I suppose especially as a writer I mean you talked about that it's good to have collaboration and physical things to kind of be inspired by or mm -hmm. work with but how do you um maintain your kind of very original writerly voice and vision when working with um lots of research and science and technology and other uh inputs that you need to I suppose be responsible for uh it's a good question um <laughs> I think uh no obviously firstly it's great that you've kind of responded that way to the show because that's absolutely what we hoped for and that's why 
in a way, there was quite a long process of bringing that show together. And again, it comes back to this crediting thing that that's why, you know, it feels right to sort of credit us all as having uh, made the show because those things, as you say, that giant screen moving back and forth um, is so much a part of the whole show and the, and the story that's told. Um, I think one of the things about working with science, which I think hopefully will go some way to answer your question, is there's points where you have to remind yourself that we're not scientists, because we did so much research and got so fascinated. There was times where it just felt like we were a documentary or just we just wished we were neuroscientists or we just, um, you know, we kind of just got so passionate about it. And you have to sort of go, well, actually, what, what do we have? What are we good at? And actually, we make theatre, and that's what we know, and that's what we understand. So it's kind of finding... We kept asking our quest the question, especially with something like uh, the case study of Henry Meliason that the show's based on, because, you know, you type it into Google, you get something bonkers, like, you know, 19 million entries pop up or something like that, because he is the most studied brain of all time. So then you start to go, what can we as theatre makers add to this discussion, add to this debate? And I think that's where the, as I say, a lot of the more human questions start to come in, the human elements and a lot of the fiction throughout the show and the kind of interplay between fact and fiction because you go, well, actually, in a way, what we can do as artists is the kind of, is the opposite end of the spectrum to scientists and empirical data um, is to try and engage with those, those very human and very pedestrian dilemmas and we sort of wanted to try and have both of those facets at the same time. And then I guess going on from the question what can we add to it as theatre makers? For me, it's then going, what can I add to it as a writer? And what, what do I do as a writer? And what, uh, what really impassions me about this story? And what moves me? And what do I think is beautiful? Um, and then I try and extrapolate that and, and turn it into text. So I guess it's always sort of chasing, trying to find what the, what the heart of it is for you and going, this is something that so much has been written about and there's so much fascinating scientific uh, material um, and then you go, actually, rather than just sort of cutting and pasting that on stage, really spending time with that and and trying to, as I say, pull out what what genuinely moves you. Because then, coming back to my thing about I want to move the audience, you sort of go, well, hopefully, if if this is something that genuinely moves me, then that feels like a step in the right direction to actually moving an audience who are going to come in and watch this and experience in it. And hopefully they'll feel that there's a real emotional truth in it, even if there's things that are fictional that we've extrapolated that we've kind of uh melded together details or whatever we've done and the kind of we slightly fictionalized um you know very much based on testimony but we sort of fictionalized scenes of henry meliason before he had this kind of traumatic surgical procedure in 1953 but we really hope that the emotional truth of that we were quite rigorous with that it felt truthful and it felt honest and it felt like it was as i say adding something to this narrative about patient HM, Henry Melison, that's been written about so many times before. Oh, well, it's so wonderful to hear you speak because um, not only do you speak very eloquently, but I think something I've felt with all your pieces I've had the pleasure to experience is that that uh, emotional truth and that heart of it has really affected me very powerfully. So 
Thank you so much, Lewis. <laughs> and I, uh, I can't wait to see that play again. Uh, my, um, my boyfriend, who's doing a human biology course at the moment, is so excited about uh, okay, it. Yeah, so brilliant. Yeah, um, that, that is really something we're looking forward to. So do check that out if anyone is going to be around then. And um, thank you so much, Lewis, for joining us thank today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's been lovely to be here. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for spending time with us today, everyone. And uh, please join us for the next Travcast as it's always a pleasure to have you as listeners as well. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.